Good job. Thanks, guys. Good morning. We're in Luke chapter 1. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, I'd appreciate that. If you don't have a Bible, there's, there's several in the pew racks in front of you you're welcome to use, and maybe you need to take one home and keep one of those. You can do that, too. That can be a gift to you. Merry Christmas. Um, a couple of just announcements building on what we talked about a minute ago, or Ryan said also. Uh, well, one not. Um, today, um, we are heading over to, to help uh, the Montes and uh, some able-bodied fellas or, or ladies, if you want to help out at 2 o'clock, meeting over at the Mont's house. You can talk to me afterwards. Uh, we're going to make a room ready for Patty. Patty's going to come home. She got her a couple surgeries and going to be uh, home for a little while and probably back to a couple more surgeries. So just a way we can bless them. Larry Schleif will be heading out up and wanted me to pass that on uh, for this service as well. So at 2, 2 p.m. is when that's going to happen. Uh, also, Ryan mentioned a, a family movie night coming up on uh, what the date was, 27th? Friday the 27th here at the church. That movie we were watching is The, the Nativity, is what that movie is. So uh, go along with Christmas, a couple days after Christmas, come on in. We'll watch the, the movie The Nativity together. Great family movie night here for that. Um, I think there was something else going on in your bulletin. I don't know. That sounds good. Read your bulletin, you'll check it out. <coughs> so we're in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be uh, looking at the passage 57 through the end of the chapter today, through verse 80. And uh, we're continuing in our series that we've titled, Written So That You May Believe. And that's not just us titling that, that's from Scripture, from John chapter 20, verse 31. It says, but these are written, talking about the stories of Christ, the work and uh, life of Jesus, that we might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So there's, there's some weight there, that's some, some importance to that. And, and what we're going to be going through as we tackle this sermon series, uh, the sermon series is a harmony of the Gospels. It's bringing the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and bringing them together uh, to reconcile and harmonize them and to give us a bigger picture of who Jesus is, what He's done, and what it means for us. Uh, we just so happen to be in the uh, time of Scripture where it's the Advent. We're talking about uh, the birth of John the Baptist. We're talking about the birth of Jesus. We're we're talking about those stories, the angels, the shepherds, all of those things, because it's Christmas time. That's the best story to tell, right? So that's where we are. Uh, we started this Advent season a few weeks ago with um, a sermon on the uh, announcement to Zechariah from the angel Gabriel about the birth of his son John, and that John would be a fulfillment of prophecy about the prophet who would come before and make straight the paths in the desert and would point to Jesus Christ. So he'd be the forerunner to Christ. And we talked about how, how Zechariah had, was a man of faith. He was a priest. He was actually on duty, uh, doing his priestly duty. And he, he got drawn to be the guy that goes in and lights the incense in the, in the temple. And, and so he was, he was like a, a, a priestly lottery that he'd won. And he goes into this time, and it just it encourages and strengthens his faith and resolve, trusting God. And then the angel comes and says, God's promise is going to be fulfilled, and this is how he's going to do it. He's going to provide a son for you that will pave the way for the Messiah. And remember a couple weeks ago when we started this, he said, uh, no, that can't be. That can't be me, right? And there's this moment of disbelief and doubt. And we're going to look at that today because today we kind of come full circle. We, so we went from, from the announcement of John to Zechariah. Then we went to the announcement of Jesus to both Mary and to Joseph, right? And we're coming back around. We wanna, and we saw Mary's song last week and, and how she responded to Christ from, uh, from that news. And then this week we're looking kind of at what John, John's birth brings about and and, uh, and, and what it did then. And I really want us to, in, to be encouraged by this, that not only did John's birth provide something then, it certainly provides something for us today as we look at that. And I want, I want the, the message of Christ, the message of John's birth even, pointing to Christ, to encourage our faith and to strengthen our resolve and belief and hope in the Messiah. And that's what it should, should do. So we're in Luke chapter 1. 
verses 57 through 80. I'll go ahead and pray, and then we'll read that scripture together. Father, we thank you so much for your amazing grace. And Lord, we come to you today seeking um, growth and seeking encouragement from your word. God, we, we desire you to convict us of sin and God, to move us into a place of obedience. God, we want to be fully yours, not holding on to anything that we are or any preference that we, we would like to claim. But God, we want to lay everything aside and we choose to follow you. So God, by your word and by your spirit, I pray that you convict us of sin, that you would conform us into the image of the Son that you would open our hearts and soften our hearts to hear from your word today, that we would be receptive to it, and we will leave forever changed by the words of Christ. We pray in his glorious name. Amen. So we are in chapter 1 of Luke. We'll read the rest of chapter 1, starting at verse 57. <clears throat> now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, uh, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, and all, these things were, uh, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, filled, was filled with the Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. All right, we're going to tackle this whole section of Scripture today. And I, I'll encourage you this. We, we did uh, Zechariah's song or prophecy last year for Christmas. And we, so we broke this passage that we're going to be talking about today into like three, four, five sermons last year. So if you want to go deeper into this text, go check out the sermons from last year and, and get built up from that, okay? But today we're going to tackle it all at once. So we're looking at, at the birth of John, and again, I, I, there's something that happened at the birth of John that was, was important and big for them there, but it also should, should inspire us and, and illuminate uh, truth in our hearts about our own situation and our own closeness or, or maybe not so closeness to God. And so we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the birth of John. Number one, we see the birth of John built faith. The, built, the, the birth of John built faith. And, and let's look at, look at the text there. Look at verses 57 through 63. And I want us to think about 
uh, everyone mentioned in this passage, the people that are, that are coming to worship and rejoice, the people that have been a part of the story since the beginning. Uh, and, and think back to the beginning. If we think really back to the beginning, we're talking about Zechariah, who's a priest who loves God, who, who has deep faith in God, and his, his wife has deep faith in God. And they're people that are waiting. They're waiting for the promise and the covenant of God to come to fruition. They know that it's going to happen, and they, they're, they're excited about that. But there's been like 400 years of silence since the last prophecy about it. So they're wondering still, what, when will this take place? They have faith, they trust, but it, it gets easier to doubt when things take longer, doesn't it? So we're going to see how, how is their faith built. So we see, uh, it says, Now at the time had Eliz- for Elizabeth to give birth had come, and she had a son. Now some, some theologian and commentators say that Mary was probably there for this. I don't, I didn't say that. And in fact, the verse before that says that, uh, has Mary's song, and then it says Mary was with them for about three months and then left. And then it says, and then Elizabeth gave birth. So more than likely was not. But certainly Mary and Elizabeth had great joyous moments and times together conversing about their, the, the, the ones inside their womb, right, and what this would usher in. There were lots of conversations about that, I'm sure. So at the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. So again, this is building faith. The birth of John builds faith. Remember, Elizabeth was barren, and she was old age. This was a geriatric pregnancy, all right? This was nothing, nothing to, to be, be, like, excited about, hopeful about. You're hopeful in Jesus, but who knows what could happen? Even, even Zechariah, okay, um, God, you're promising some things here, we'll, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. So there's this rejoicing that happens when her family and her neighbors, these friends, they hear, they come, and they, what they hear? They didn't just hear, oh, a baby was born. See, that baby built faith. It says, they heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy. You see, when we see blessings occur, we should attribute that to God, and that should build our faith. And they rejoiced with her. When they had come to circumcise the child on the eighth day, which was customary, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. So little Zech, right? Yeah, big Zech and little Zech. And, and it was customary that, that the child would be named after somebody in the family. And, and so that they, it, it says here they wanted to call him Maybe the neighbors were trying to name the kid, but they were just trying to figure out, what, what are we calling him? And maybe they were calling him Little Zach, right? Junior. So Here's Junior, and they wanted to know, what's his name? But his mother responded, in verse 60 it says, his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Now some say that, that this was spontaneous by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, but we know that the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that you're to name him John, which means God is gracious, right? Remember, Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. Elizabeth's name uh, means God's promise or covenant. And then John's name means God is gracious. And you think, put, put that all together. God remembers his, pro- his promise and his covenant because God is gracious. It's an amazing thing, right? So th- that, that time with the angel, even though there was judgment on Zechariah and he couldn't speak, he could still communicate. And we see that later on. He writes on a tablet. I am I'm sure that he had told Elizabeth, this is what the boy's name is to be. This is what the angel told me. We're going to obey, right? As soon as the judgment was, was put on uh, Zechariah, he, he knew he needed to shape up and, and exhibit faith and trust God and get with the program. So he got his wife on board too. So his wife says, oh, his name's going to be called John. Verse 61, then they said to her, well, none of your relatives has that name. So they went over her head, right, and motioned to the father to find out what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and said, his name is John. It says they were all amazed at this. Interesting in this amazement, I, I want to just kind of, I want to think about this in a, in a different sense. Uh, when we had our daughter, Bailey, we, uh, we had 
got a list of names, right? We have the books, and you look out. Oh, you, you, it takes so long to go through those books and names. Starts with A, right? And you're like, am I done with the A's yet? And you're trying to find the right name for your child and your fit and your family. And we had a list of names that we had come up with. So we end up uh, going to the hospital to deliver. And you know what we forgot? The list of names. The list of names. And we're trying to think, like, what, what was on that list? And, and, of course, we're new parents. And we're like, I, I don't know what's happening. And we remembered a couple names. But, but Bailey was the one that stood out. And it's like you just knew. You had, you had this child. And this is Bailey. This is Bailey. This is our daughter, right? You just knew. And I didn't need, didn't need a list. And maybe that's what they were asking for. Like, what have you guys talked about? Let us know. What, what are we naming this kid? And what are the choices? And maybe he would have written down some choices, right? And he, oh, here, here's some thoughts. That's not what he did. And then you think, well, well he'll write down what his, his choice is or what he would recommend. And he would have said, I think his name should be John. Right? And shown that. But that's not what he did either, right? I want you to understand, Zechariah's faith was built and built and built. Let's, let's, let's pause there and, and go backwards for just a minute. You think about Zechariah and, and before the angel came to him. He was a man of faith. He was a priest. He, he trusted in God's promises and, and, and longed for them and prayed for them and, and watched for them. But even the strongest faith can disappoint at times because we tend to have some disbelief, don't we? We tend to have some disobedience that rises up. And that's what happened with Zechariah. So Zechariah was a man of faith, but when the angel finally came and said, listen, all that you're praying for, all that you're hoping for, all that God is going to do, it's coming now, and it's going to be through the birth of John the baptizer through you, and he's going to point the way to Jesus. And Zechariah's like, no way, I doubt it. Oh, really? Remember the angel's response? I have come from face to face with God to give you this message. And because you haven't believed, you're not going to be able to speak until it comes to fruition. There's judgment then cast on Zechariah. And I want, us to, I want you to think about this because we, we struggle with this. We struggle when we have disobedience or disbelief and we kind of shrink back. We shrink back and say, oh, God, I don't know. I don't really trust. I don't know. I'm kind of ashamed of my disbelief and, and I should probably be in the corner with a dunce cap on. But that's not what happens. See, when, when judgment was pronounced on Zechariah, there certainly are consequences to our sin and disobedience. There are going to be consequences to us and our disbelief in God. We're not going to have that closeness and that joy and that hope that he wants to well up within us. But in the middle of those consequences, what we can see through the consequences should be a growing faith. Because here's what I guarantee. His disbelief only lasted until he could not speak a word. Because then he knew this is serious business. What I thought wasn't really true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And he knew. And then it builds from there, doesn't it? He goes home, and he's, he has this, this faith. I can feel it in me, and well enough, there's goosebumps, right? He goes home, and his wife conceives. He's like, oh, can, I, wow. I mean, he's, he's got to be amazed. And, and not be able to speak and share that with someone is just internalizing that and thinking about that and pondering about that and wondering about that, and that, that, that building of faith is happening. His wife conceives, but it, it's not over yet, is it? Because She's older. Who can't, will, will she miscarry? Will she not? I mean, the hope is there. It's real. God said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. But you, you wonder. And then what happens, right? Six months into the pregnancy, we saw this last week. What happened? Someone comes to the door. Mary comes to the door, barely, barely pregnant. And the baby inside of Elizabeth's womb jumps for joy. And we'll see that in a minute. This, this faith is just growing and growing. I, I want to take you back to that verse. I read that last week. 
Uh, Luke chapter 1, same, same chapter, 39 through 45. This is Mary coming to the door. I want us to see, again, this in light of this, this John coming and, and Jesus coming, the faith is increasing. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside of her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. There's some joy going on. I want you to hold on for a minute. Hold on. Put a pin in that one. He leaped for joy. John leaped for joy at the presence of Jesus. Okay, we're going to come. We're going to see that again in a few minutes. But look at the next verse, verse 45. Here's, here's what Elizabeth says. And, and I, I mentioned this last week, that there might have been some kind of shame and judgment, condemnation, even on Zechariah, because he was the opposite of this. Here's the statement. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Blessed. You are blessed because you have believed. In contrast, Zechariah, at the altar of incense, the angel saying, this is going to happen, he did not believe. And judgment was there. Now, we can contrast that and say, Mary believed and Zechariah didn't. But I, I would guarantee you, at this point in the story, with Elizabeth speaking this truth to Mary, Zechariah holds the same truth true for him. Why? Because he understands, and his faith has grown and been built, and he trusts God. It could be said about him, blessed is he who has believed that the Lord would, would fulfill what he has spoken to him. Zechariah's faith is being built up. So Mary comes to visit, right? Mary comes, and, and the, the faith just builds, because we see not only is, is John going to be born, but Jesus is going to be born. It's all coming together, and the hopes of the entire nation are, are coming to realization, and truth is, is right there before them. And it's an amazing story, but it doesn't end there. The baby is born, and that builds faith too, right? The baby is born, and now it's actually physically real. He's here. It, it, there wasn't a miscarriage. It's really true. And then they're wondering, what should we name the child? And this huge act of faith. Here, I think there's two more. We'll see. This first one is he takes a tablet, and he writes down his name. He says, his name is John. It is John. It will be, no, it is. From the moment he couldn't speak and Elizabeth conceived, that boy's name was John. And in faith that had been built through time, he wrote it down. This boy's name is John. And then what happens? All of a sudden he can speak again. And I guarantee you, that, that is like the culmination of all that he'd been hoping for, all that he'd been waiting for, and the promises of God being realized by a built faith. Now he can speak. And what does he speak? He speaks in praises to God, in an overflow of praise to God. And that leads us to number two. The birth of John brought wondrous joy. The birth of, jo of John brought wondrous joy. Let's carry on at verse 64 through 66. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were be, that were being talked about through the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him 
took it to heart, saying, What will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. I I want you to notice there is a a, a huge sense of delight and a huge sense of wonder and a huge sense of awe and fear for what God is up to right here. See, when John was born, it brought wondrous joy, and it was an introspective joy. And I want to tie in some other passages that show this same reality at the advent of John and at the advent of the Messiah. Uh, carrying on, we go, if we were to go back to verse 14, when the, the angel first announced John, he said, listen, there will be great joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. There's going to be joy. Joy is coming, because Christ is ultimately coming. And then in chapter 2, we go on, and we, and we see the angel talking to the shepherds. And in chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, he says, the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of what? Great joy. That will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Isn't that amazing? There's, there's awe and inspiration and, and delight and joy and worship and fear and reverence. And then, they, then the shepherds go and they tell the, tell the story to Mary and Joseph and the, and the babies there, right? And they see the baby. And here, here's how she responded in verse 19 of chapter 2. But Mary, when they told her this, Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. That's, that's what the birth of John did. That's what the birth of Jesus did. It brought wondrous joy, a joy that was introspective, a wonder that was introspective, and, and, and a joy that overflowed in delight for what God was up to. And then later on, we see in ver- chapter 3, verse 15, talking about John. People were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. And he, he settles that a few verses later, but th- it's, it's this point where Man, I'm, I'm not the Messiah. I'm, not the, I'm pointing to the Messiah. God, God sent Jesus as the Messiah. But, the, but here's what they said. It says, they see John and the birth of John, and then he grows up, and, and John's still present. And what did, what did this man bring up? What well, brought up wondrous joy. And then people wondered. It said, uh, people were waiting expectantly, okay, waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts. Those are two great things that we should learn from, by the way. Waiting expectantly. We don't like to wait, do we, in, the, in America? This day and age, we don't like to wait. We microwave everything. Beep, beep. And, and, and even that, we're pacing by the microwave because it's taking too long. We don't like to wait. We don't like to pause. We don't like to give it its due. When we, start, when we went back to two services and, and this one got a little longer, people were like, oh, this is way too long. I can't wait that long. You know what? We grow, right? We need, to, we need to take the time. And I would encourage you. I, I want to implore you and your families to pause to consider, to wonder in amazement and joy and fear and delight and treasure what God has given us through Jesus Christ, especially this season. It is so, so important to do that. We have all these parties to go to and family events and shopping to do and go here and go there and we have to keep a schedule and it's crazy and by the time the kids are down and you're exhausted and there's no time left, make the time. Make the time. Shopping for presents is not near as important as making the time with your family to talk and wonder and awe over Jesus. Please, please make that a priority. John, later on, he's talking, he's trying to settle this, settle this question. Are you the Messiah? Well, no, I'm not the Messiah. Because followers were going over to Jesus, and like, Why, whoa, who, who do we follow, right? And here's what he says, John, in chapter 3, uh, in verses 29 through 30. He says, he who has the bride is the groom. 
Why are they going to him? Because he's the groom and they're the bride. They should be together. But the groom's friend, and he's talking about himself, who stands by and listens for him. Remember what I told you to put a pin in earlier? John leaps in the womb of his mama at the mere presence of this little zygote, five-day-old conception of Jesus in in the womb of Mary. Leaps with joy and delight. Here's what he says. He says the friend listens for him, he, and he rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. He says, so this joy of mine is complete. This joy that started in the womb of his mother at Jesus' presence in the womb of his mother is now complete because the Messiah is on scene and taking the reins. And, and here's what he, he finishes with. In verse 30 of John 3, he says, he, speaking of Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. There is wonder to be had, but through this reflection time of, of, of considering what God has given us through Jesus Christ. And for you and I to be able to do that, He must increase and we must decrease. Amen? This type of wonder and joy should lead us to spiritual reflection, deep spiritual reflection. And it's only wise and spiritually healthy to reflect upon our own spiritual condition, to, to look deep within our heart. Remember that they were waiting and they were, they were wondering, they were questioning in their hearts whether John was the Messiah. It's good to question our hearts and to check on what's going on inside our hearts. It should lead us to ask questions and get answers about God, about who He is and what He's up to and what He's up to in us. So here, stop to ponder. Stop in wonder and awe of God and stop and reflect in your heart about who Jesus is for you. So the birth of John brought wondrous joy. Number three, the birth of John displayed God's faithful love. The birth of John displayed God's faithful love. Let's continue in the text and see this. And we're talking about God's faithful love. Remember our word for that, God's covenantal, faithful, steadfast love. The word is hesed, right? And it's, it's, it shows this encompassing, huge, enormous love of God that's from forever to forever. It, it continues and, it, and it, God does everything in line with His hesed love for us to bring about the fullness of His promise. That's what God's up to. So for the birth of John, it was displaying God's faithful love. Verses 66 or 67 through 75, here's what it says. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness, in his presence all our days. A, a few things we need to see here. When, when, when Zechariah speaks, it, it's amazing that, that what he says is similar to what Mary said. Remember, Mary's song was, was riddled with, with Old Testament theology and Old Testament scripture. And, and if you hopefully you parallel that and got to check out uh, Hannah's song in Samuel, because it's very similar in a lot of ways to Mary's song. Well, same thing, Zechariah, who's a learned man, who's steeped in tradition, steeped in the Word of God, when he overflows with praise by the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what he speaks? God's Word. 
Some theologians would say that within Zechariah's song, there are 33 allusions or actually quotations of Scripture that are pulled in together. It's just continuing to show that the puzzle fits together, that God is continuing to work in His Hesed love to bring about the fullness of His promise. Zechariah's life had constantly drawn nourishment from God's holy word, and we would be wise to do the same. What's interesting, though, is, is when, he, when he finally responded, when he opened his mouth, the first thing he spoke, the first thing he sang was praise to God and God's word. So the question for us today is, is that what we do? Is that how we praise? Is that how we respond? When we open our lips and we offer our praise, are we singing in the delight of God's word and the truth of his promise? We should be. We should be on Sunday morning when we're here singing the songs on the screen. Those are God's word that are being ratified in our heart and strengthened in our heart and building our faith because he has displayed his faithful love. He continues, he sings, he sings to pray, uh, praise about God and about the fulfillment of God's promises. Here's a couple things he mentions. He says in verse 69, he says he raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, who? David, right? This is David, the Davidic covenant here, the promise there. And, and I want to I read a part of that out of Isaiah chapter 9. If you want to turn there with me, that'd be great. Isaiah chapter 9, and, and if you missed this sermon series, this was two years ago, we did this for Christmas, uh, He Shall Be Named, and we, we did a sermon series on Isaiah 9, like 1 through 12, I think, or something like that, so you can go check that out. I'm going to read a, a small passage out of uh, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. I want us to understand what Zechariah knew, and he knew more than this. He had the Psalms, he knew that the, the, the throne of David, it was, that, that was the promise, and he, he, knew, he knew what it said in Samuel, but I wanted to read this out of Isaiah 9 because it's Christmassy beginning in verse 6, for a child will be born for us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. The promise was there. It was going to be accomplished. And, and he was praising God that God had provided the horn of salvation through the line of David. And he goes on, he speaks about the, the forefathers. He says, you've dealt mercifully with our fathers, right, the patriarchs, and remembered your holy covenant. In verse 73, if back, we're back in Luke 1, by the way, now. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So let's go to Genesis 22. Genesis, first book of the Bible. Let's look at Genesis chapter 22. And, and let's see what he's, what he's talking about here. What oath did he swear to Abraham? Now this is just after Abraham had, had gone up to the mountain to offer Isaac as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And remember the Lord said, oh no, he stopped him as he was going down with a knife. Nope, stop. The angel said, no. And he said, well, the Lord said what? The Lord will provide the sacrifice. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. That's a promise. And here's Genesis 22, beginning in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration. Because you have done this thing and not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. That's important, a heritage, a long, you know, a long line of people. Your offspring will possess the city gates of their enemies. In verse 18, this is a big one. 
and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. If we look at the totality of Scripture and the harmonization of that promise, the blessing that would come from his family, his offspring, that would bless the entire earth was Jesus Christ. Jesus was coming. So you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the Davidic covenant, and Zechariah is filled with joy and awe, and he's overflowing with this, and he says, I, I, can't, I can't help but speak and praise about God's wonderful, faithful love. He says, going towards, going towards where, we're, where the Messiah is going to come, he's going to bring peace, where we will, it said, we'll serve him without fear. There's a time coming where, where they knew the law could not provide, the law could not save. They would be free from the law and that their salvation would be in the light, exposed as by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He was able to praise and to be a part of what God was up to. From Zechariah's perspective, God's covenant and promise was established and it was being fulfilled right now. Not only through his son, but the birth of his son would point to the birth of the Messiah, which he knew was inside of Mary at that moment. God liberates us. He frees us so he, we can freely serve him and praise, praise him. So the birth of John displayed God's faithful love. Number four, the birth of John showed God's grace. The birth of John showed God's grace. Remember, John, the name means God is gracious. Pretty, pretty amazing. So let's go on in our, back in Luke chapter 1, if you go back and turn there with me. I'm not there anymore. Here we go. Luke chapter 1. Hopefully you utilize your little ribbons in your Bible if you have them, or if not, grab a doodle sheet and stick, stick it in there. It's a bookmark, a bulletin, right? So back to Luke chapter 1, verses 76 through 77. The birth of John showed God's grace. So he, he turns his focus, and he, and he looks to the child. He says, and you, child, he's still prophesying. He says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. See, Zechariah looked at his baby boy, and he understood that John would be a means of grace and a means of divine revelation to mankind. John's message would give knowledge of salvation to people. It would not be a theoretical knowledge of salvation. It would be an actual personal knowledge and an inward experience of salvation experienced by faith in Jesus Christ. He was going to show exactly what Jesus was all about. And, and here's what I mean. It wasn't, a, wasn't a theoretical knowledge. When we talk about the cross, when we talk about Jesus and our God talk on the street, and someone says, oh yeah, Jesus, he's, he's the Savior of the world. He, he died on the cross for our sins. If, if that's true, and he just died on the cross for our sins, and he didn't die on the cross for your sins, you're in trouble. If you haven't introspectively looked at Jesus and the cross and understood the knowledge of salvation and what is required through the shed blood on the cross, then you don't get it. It's not enough to talk, oh, Jesus is my Savior. That's not the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation is that you and I must have our sins forgiven. The knowledge of salvation says that you and I can do nothing to erase our own sins and account for our own sins except to die on a cross like that one. That the wages of sin is death. 
But Scripture says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Savior that we talk about so fluffy and mushy, he laid himself on that cross and allowed himself to be killed. He shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. So he shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven. Not just to carry on a conversation about, oh, Jesus is the Savior, he's great. But to know, deep down in our heart, have a personal experience and reflection of faith in Jesus Christ, that only he and what he has accomplished on the cross and through the death and resurrection can save. And it's through you and I having faith in that. We get too mushy sometimes. We get too, too fluffy with Jesus sometimes. And John came about to be a means of grace and divine revelation that get over the fluffiness and see the depth of what Jesus came to do. Again, that little tiny baby was the, the biggest rebuke to all of humanity who's tough and proud and can carry their own load. That baby carried our load. That baby did what we deserved to do. That baby, when he grew up, he bled and died the death that we deserved to die. So that by faith in him, alone we could have the forgiveness of sin that's what it takes and god offers that as a free gift he said the gift of god's eternal life why do we share gifts because jesus is the greatest gift and he shared himself with us that we could be forgiven so john comes to say it's going to be a fluffy time with jesus no he says jesus this is the jesus you need because he's going to take care of the sin problem that we all have and we all have it by the way it's not a matter of how good you are or how bad you are it's a matter of you've been bad in some way and it's got to be erased. Why not let Jesus erase it for you? When John was born, it was a means of grace then, pointing to Jesus. And for us, knowing that John was born to point the way to the Messiah, not saying, I'm not the Messiah, I'm just a friend of the groom. He's the groom, you need to be the bride. And I'm going to rejoice over the groom that he's here, because I can't save. When, when Zechariah prophesied, I want you to notice this passage. When Zechariah prophesied about his son, he says, And you, child, oh no, he's puffing up John. No, he's not. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Yeah, you're going to be a prophet like no other prophet. Why? Because all, all the other prophets spoke about what God was going to do. John was a prophet who got to say, let me introduce you to Jesus. He's right here. He got to introduce them to Jesus. But it was about Jesus, not about John. You're going to be a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord. See, this is a prophecy about what John would do for the Lord. You'll go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people not your people, his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. And that's why John was overjoyed to say he must increase and I must decrease. John's birth and John's life showed God's grace. It was necessary for the Messiah to come and to die because what the law couldn't accomplish, grace accomplished on the cross. I want to read a couple passages. One out of Acts chapter 10. Verses 42 and 43, it says, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He, Jesus, is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. The buck stops with Him. Verse 43, it says, All the prophets testify about Him, Jesus, that through His name, everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. You see, you and I are encouraged and charged and implored to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ in faith and to be forgiven by Jesus himself. 
1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't come to Him saying, Jesus, I'm pretty clean. Be like, that doesn't cut it. Pretty clean doesn't do anything. You have to be totally clean. And that's what Jesus offers. So when we go to Him, we confess our inability to be totally clean. We confess that He is the one who made us totally clean because His blood was shed for us. And He was a perfect lamb sacrifice. And He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, conquering death victoriously. We will have life in Him. We will have forgiveness in Him because it's all been about Him. See His love. See His grace and in faith trust Him to forgive you. Finally, number five, the birth of John pointed to the sunrise. S-O-N, rise. The sunrise. My, what do you call it, the auto detect thing, the spell checker. Didn't like that word when it was put together, S-O-N, or I didn't, it said this is wrong. Like, it's not wrong, it's right. Sunrise. Let's look at our last part of the passage today. Chapter 1, verses 78 and 79. Zechariah continues, he says, Because of our God's merciful compassion, again, giving all glory to God, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. There's a darkness that gloomed. And listen, even in Zechariah's day, there was a hope for what God had promised that would come to fruition. And, and, and those who were, who were made righteous were those who trusted in faith that God was going to provide that. But for, for many people, they, they tried to still work their way to heaven. They tried, still tried to earn their way. And they, they lived in a state of darkness, doing their own thing, trying, clawing, scratching to get out of the dark. And here we have face-to-face coming with John and face-to-face coming with Jesus. And Zechariah says, He's the dawn from on high who will visit us, and he will shine light on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death. And he will guide our feet into the way of peace. You know, when we're in darkness, when we're living in darkness and despair, and there's no hope there, and we're, we're relying on ourselves, there is absolutely no peace. We can cry ourselves to sleep at night, but we cannot rest easy at night because there has not been any peace given to us. When Jesus comes, when Jesus shines his light into that darkness, he illuminates the error in our way, and when we turn to him in faith, it is so, shines so brightly, and he leads us to a place of so much peace that our, all of our hope is in him, all of our rest is in him, all of our support is in him. Just as the real sunrise brings light into the darkness, right? It lights up the day, sometimes not early enough. But as it lights up the darkness, the Son of God brings light into spiritual darkness. That's what Jesus does. Yet, we still want our way. Proverbs 14, 12 says this, There's a way that seems right to a person, but its end is the way to death. What does that mean? It means that there are so many people, maybe you and I included at times, or maybe you right now, there are so many people that try to do what they can figure out to be done to earn their own way, to make them significant in some way, to make them relevant, to find identity and hope. In the end, Scripture says that leads to death. That way leads to death. The only way that leads to life is through Jesus. 2 Peter 1.19 says we also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. So 
If we're talking about prophecies, we're talking about Old Testament, we're talking about what Mary's saying, we're talking about what Zechariah is saying, we have these prophecies to hold on to. We have the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it. So many people, so many times in our life, we discount it, right? We push it aside. We say, oh, no, no, Jesus sounds good, but let me just keep him over here at Christmas time at a church service one time a year. But that ends in death. We would be wise. You would do well to pay attention to the word of God and what it's said and what it's revealed. And it goes on. <clears throat> you would be do well to pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. See, when the sun rose, there needed to be a sunrise in your heart as well and in my heart. God offered Jesus to be that sunrise, to take away the darkness, to take away the, the restlessness, to take away my own ability or my own desire to be able to, to save myself. He says, stop struggling and know that I am God. Know that I'm the one to rescue you. Know that my light can shine in the darkness and that my light will raise, rise in your hearts and give you peace. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's the light we seek. That's the light we we want in our hearts to rise every morning and to ponder every morning and to embrace every single day. That's the light that we as the body of Christ, the church, as we want to share with the world and illuminate to the world, to share that there's a light that they can step into out of darkness. And they can find hope and peace and salvation and forgiveness of sins through Christ crucified and risen from the dead. John was born, and a lot happened when John was born, but he was born to introduce us to Jesus. And Jesus would be, bring mercy into places of condemnation. And he would shine light into the darknesses of our heart. And he would bring peace to our spiritual unrest. And the beauty of this, if we come back full circle now to the anchor that we, we were relying on for this series, all of this is written and accounted for and given to us that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, we may have life in his name. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray, please. Father, you, you are the glorious one. You are the name above every name, and we are here to worship you and to praise you for bringing peace, for bringing light into the darkness of our hearts. There's hope found nowhere else than in the name of Jesus, so we're thankful for that. God, I pray that as we've looked at the, the birth of John, that we would see not only John and what, what he brought as, as, as faith was built, but what, he, who, what and who he pointed to, and that was salvation, the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of our sins through Jesus the Messiah. And like John, Lord, we, we greatly want Jesus to increase and we want us to decrease. Help us not hold on to the things we should, shouldn't hold on to. Lord, help us hold on to Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly. God, help us also increase in awe and in wonder and in delight and introspection this season, that we would pause and we would consider Jesus and the wonder of what's happened during this time of the year. Not only this time of the year, but Lord, we would wonder at what he's done in our hearts and what he's doing in our hearts. 
that we, he would, we would seek for him to change everything that needs to be changed. We humbly submit to him. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we close, we close with a song, and it's our opportunity, like Zechariah or Mary,